I am glad you are here. My name is uh, Pastor Kevin. I am uh, the pastor here, and uh, we are excited you are here to celebrate our launch service with us today. Uh, so just make sure uh, you know that we are thankful for you being here. Um, this is an exciting day, and uh, I just keep saying that I'm just excited. So thank you for being here. One of the things, as you kind of get to know me, one of the things that's true about me is I am a sports fan. I'm one of these guys that just, you know, you like the game. And I was thinking about this passage uh, this day, and I was thinking about game-changing moments. And for Restoration Church, today is one of those game-changing moments. Today is one of the days where <laughs> this is a big day for us. I was thinking about sports, and I was thinking about some of those game-changing moments that you remember. If any of you, if any of you are, are football fans, you might remember the, the Super Bowl on February 3rd of 2008. There was one of those game-changing moments where uh, the quarterback, Eli, Eli Manning, playing for the New York Giants, uh, this team was down. They had about two minutes left. Uh, he had the ball as a quarterback, and he had three guys around him, and he kind of broke three, and he threw this ball down the field. And this guy, who was kind of a no-name player, his name is uh, David Tyree, jumps up, and he grabs the ball, and he catches the ball between his hand and his head. You guys remember seeing this on the Super Bowl? And he falls down, and they say it's a catch. That was a game-changing moment for the New York Giants that day. They were able to come from behind because of that Great catch and, and, and win the game. There's also game-changing moments like this one. Uh, June 2nd, a number of years ago, there's a guy named Andres Galarraga, and he was a pitcher for the Detroit Tigers. And in this game, uh, Andres Galarraga had what's called a perfect game on the line. He, he pitched through eight innings, and he had allowed no hits. He hadn't walked anybody. He hadn't hit anybody. So nobody had been on base, and they call this a perfect game. And he gets two outs in the ninth inning. He's got one batter left. And he, and he throws the ball, and the batter hits it and, and, and grounds the ball to second base or shortstop or something. And they pick it up and throw it to first base, and they beat the, the, the runner by a step. Perfect game, except there was one of those game-changing moments where the umpire said, safe! And he was out by a step, and everybody knew it. But that was a game-changing moment for him. His name would have been one of... 27 names or something in the record book to ever pitch a perfect game. But because of this misstep, it was a game-changing moment. His, his story now is he was almost a perfect game. But we all have moments in our lives that are game-changers. These are moments where our lives will change forever. Usually we have several of these moments throughout of our lifetime. Uh, think about these in your own lives. What are those game-changing moments? Some of these moments are negatives. Some of these moments are going to be negatives that will change our life. Maybe, maybe it was those terrible words from that, that, that person you're in love with when they say, you know, let's just be friends. It's a game-changing moment when the girl you're in love with says, let's just be friends. And you guys know what I'm talking about? What about, what about hearing those terrible words? Uh, maybe you learned someone close to you has died. Becomes a game-changing moment moment that affects your life. Maybe it was that time when you heard that terrible diagnosis, cancer. These are game-changing moments. There's also, probably more often than, than, than the negative, we also have positive, game-changing, life-changing moments. Think about, again, think about your own life. What are those moments in your life? Maybe, maybe it was when you finally graduated school, despite all of the odds, Maybe it was when you finally met that special someone who you knew you were going to spend the rest of your life with. Maybe, maybe it was having your first child. 
You hold that little bundle of joy, and you know from that moment on it will never be the same by holding that child. All of us have experienced these types of moments, these game-changing moments that affect our life, and our life doesn't go back to being the same. And today, we're continuing in a sermon series that we call Ignite. Uh, Through the book of Acts, where we see Christ's church, we see God's church ignited. They they were started on fire, and they spread the the church and the gospel throughout the region and across the whole world. And for today's message, I want to share a story about a man who is about to experience one of these game-changing moments. One of these moments that changes everything for him, that his life doesn't go back to being the same. We'll see how God uses this game-changing moment to continue to ignite the church, to continue to allow the church to spread and allow the gospel to be furthered. So if you have a Bible with me, if you have a Bible with you, turn to Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible, if you want to raise your hand up, we've got an usher in the back with, with, uh, with a Bible, and he can bring you one. Um, if you don't have a Bible, let this be our gift to you. Uh, we, we are here at Restoration Church. We're people, this isn't come and hear me talk and lecture about who knows what for an hour. We are going to spend time saying, God, what do you have from your word today? So uh, Acts chapter 3 is where we'll be reading. And uh, those verses will be up on the screen as well. Let's read this together. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter looked, directed his gaze at him and said, as did John. And he said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. The name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, Rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and his ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God, and they recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. And while he clung to Peter and John, all the people, uttered astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers, But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, and that this Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn again, that your sins may be blotted out. That times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. That he may send the Christ appointed for 
appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, the Lord will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaim these days. You are the sons of the prophet and the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying, Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. As God's word for us today, let's pray. God, this is a great day, a great opportunity to gather together uh, in your house to be able to hear your word. Lord, we thank you that we live in a country that we can open up your word and say, God, what do you have to teach us? Lord, I pray that as we come here today, God, God, I pray that you would allow the distractions to be put out of our mind. You allow us to just be filled with your presence, that we would be able to have ears to hear your word, that you would give us understanding, and that, God, you would draw us to, your, to ourselves. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity. We pray for your spirit to be with us, and we ask this in your holy and precious name. Amen. So what I want to do today, just so you know what we're going to plan on doing, I want to take a few short minutes and summarize this story so we understand the basics of what happened. We'll understand the basics of this story. And after that summary, I want to point out four things from this story that that define true game-changing moments in our lives. Because I think we can all say we want to experience these game-changing moments with God. So we're going to go through the story and we're going to see four points uh, that will help us to define those game-changing moments in our lives. So in this story, uh, Peter and John, two of Jesus' followers, followers uh, they're headed to the temple at the ninth hour to pray. Now this ninth hour, we would say that would be our 3 p.m. In Jewish custom, there were three scheduled times to pray each day, at 9 a.m., at noon, and at 3 p.m. And so as Peter and John approached the temple, we are introduced to a beggar, to a man who is, uh, lame, who's been lame and unable to walk since birth. So he's sitting in front of the temple, and he's begging for alms. It kind of sounds like he should be begging for legs instead of alms. But either way, he's looking for people to give him a few bucks. He needs some money to be able to get some food and whatever else. And so Peter looks at him and he says, Dude, I don't have any silver or gold, but you can have what I do have. And he says, In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise up and walk. So Peter grabs him by the hand, and we see that immediately his feet and his ankles were made strong. And we see a game-changing moment, a miracle occur right before our eyes, right in front of the beautiful gate at the temple. So Peter and John, they came to the temple to go in to pray. And they continued into the temple, into the courtyard. And the beggar comes following them. He comes following them, jumping and leaping and praising God. I would be too if this happened to me. His life has just changed drastically from being an outcast to now he's able to go into the courtyard of the temple for the very first time. He'd never been able to cross that threshold of that beautiful gate. And naturally, as he comes inside, the people inside, they begin to wonder and say, man, this is a guy that we've seen begging for all these years in front of the temple, and now he is walking? And they're amazed at what has happened. 
And so naturally a crowd begins to form because they want to know what's happened to this man. And a crowd forms around Peter and John and this beggar. And so just like we read in Acts chapter 2 a couple weeks ago, God's miracle creates a crowd. And so Peter does what any good pastor is going to do. He preaches. Doesn't take an offering. He preaches. And uh, so he preaches to the crowd, and he preaches a message that is very similar to what he preached in in chapter 2. His outline of a sermon is, uh, first, he corrects their outlook in verses 11 and 12. Next, he directs their focus, um, and he calls then for repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And the result of this miracle, the result of this happening, the result of God giving healing to this man, and then the result of Peter preaching this message, we see in chapter 4, verse 4, that out of the crowd, out of those who heard the message, that about 5,000 people were saved that day. That's the second miracle we see. 5,000 people. And you notice it started with one. It started with Peter and John coming and, 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 and ministering to one man. That's where it started. Talk about life-changing moments. So with the flyover look of this chapter, I want to hone in on those four specific points that are key for us experiencing these, these game-changing moments. The first is found in verse 2. Did you notice where the man was sitting? It says that he was laying at a place called the Beautiful Gate. Now, when the temple was rebuilt by King Herod, uh, they boasted an extravagance. They, they, they built blinding white walls, marble columns, gilded roofs. It was bu- built, built so beautifully. And this story occurring at the Beautiful Gate is not just by chance. It's not by accident that this man is waiting at the beautiful gate. Because the beautiful gate stood as an entryway into the fellowship that could be found inside the temple courts. It was the front door to the church. And in order for anybody to come through and and, and experience the fellowship of the church, they had to go through the beautiful gate. But when you think about a gate, a gate is not just an entryway for people. A gate also can become a barrier for others. And for people like this beggar, this beautiful gate, it really wasn't a beautiful gate. It was a beautiful barrier. Because if you were lame, or if you were blind, or if you were a beggar, or if you were someone who society deemed as less than, this gate wasn't an interest, an entrance, it was a barrier, preventing you from entering into the temple. So we've got to understand that this beggar in biblical times, this beggar represented one of the lowest members of society. He was a have-not. His life in the first century was not good at all. There were no electric wheelchairs. There was no disability packages from the government. This man was unable to work, and he relied on his friends carrying, carrying him to the temple where he could beg for money so he could eat. And because this man was different than the majority of the people, this meant he was an outsider to the temple. This meant that that beautiful gate stood as a beautiful barrier to him. He could never cross that threshold. He was excluded from the temple and all that it symbolized for Israel of divine presence of God, of sacrifice, atonement for sin. This beautiful gate stood as a beautiful barrier to what this man needed most, God. So number one for us this morning is game-changing moments challenge the status quo. The healing of this lame man signals a new era that changes the status quo. It changes the scope of religion. Because of Jesus, because of Jesus, the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind, they too can now participate in the kingdom of God. 
This newly healed man can now enter the temple, restored physically and spiritually. And this is a glimpse into the reality of God's new kingdom that was ushered in by the resurrection of Jesus. The gospel of Jesus highlights God's concern for the least and the lost. Through Jesus, through Jesus, what once stood as a beautiful barrier now serves as a, as a beautiful bridge to God. I want you to know today that Restoration Church is a beautiful bridge to Jesus Christ. From the earliest stages of this church, from the earliest stages when we began talking about Restoration Church, God made it a priority in us that it doesn't matter to us if you're black, brown, yellow, red, blue, or white. It doesn't matter to us if you slept out by the river last night or you slept up on scenic. It doesn't matter to us if you are a beggar or if you are a doctor. Our doors are open to you so you can find the true healing through Jesus Christ. Restoration Church isn't a beautiful gate that serves as a barrier until you get your life right. You start looking like everybody else. Restoration Church is a beautiful bridge. One that extends God's grace and love to every person, regardless of your background, regardless of our differences. Moving on. Look with me again back at the story to Peter's interaction with a beggar in verses 5 through 8. You think about this beggar and you think, who knows how many times this guy was told no? Who knows how many times people walked by, he said alms for the poor, and people said no, 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 not today. <laughs> and who knows how many people walked by without truly ever seeing this guy, without ever making eye-to-eye contact with him. Isn't it funny how we do that? As we're walking down the street, as we're walking somewhere, and we see somebody who makes us uncomfortable. We see somebody different than us, somebody that, that makes us feel intimidated. And we don't even look at them. We, we, we sometimes walk on the other side of the street with the idea that maybe if, if, if I don't see them, I'm not responsible to acknowledge them. I'm not responsible to have to be kind to them. But Peter and John, they look intently at him, and they, they say, hey, look up at us. Things are about to change. Old paradigms will be pulverized. The good news of the kingdom of God is the distribution of God's healing and God's salvation to all people. So Peter told the beggar dude, he said, dude, I don't have any money, but I'll give you what I got. He says, what I got is Jesus. And so in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Now when he says rise up, the emotion behind that is really more like, get up. It's more passionate. He's saying, get up and walk. The reality for this beggar, who was truly only hoping for a few coins that help him buy a Big Mac later in the day, the reality is that God was prepared to do so much more for him than he could ever imagine. Hmm. God had more than the beggar could ever think about on his own, that he could ever do on his own. God had more than he ever thought was possible for this man. See, not only had he been held back for 40 years by being deemed different than everybody else by his disability, but this beggar was also held back because of people's judgments and people's treatment of him. But God shows up, and we see this amazing game-changing moment. No longer is he held back by his disability. No longer is he held back by the way that people viewed him and by the way that people treated him. He is told to get up and walk through the power of Jesus' resurrection. No longer chained to the condemned spaces that were offered to him by the people around him. 
And if we are going to experience game-changing moments in our lives, we need to hear this command as well. Number two, point number two says a game-changing moment requires us to get up. You and I, we might not be the same in the exact same boat as this beggar. We may not be cast-outs from society, have-nots in society. But we know, each of us know what it's like to be chained down. Each of us know what it's like to have an overwhelming weight on our shoulders that we can't fix on our own, that we can't get rid of. Think about it. Think about your weight. Think about what has got you chained down. And in our minds, we have a number of reasons of why we are forced to continue carrying that weight, why we can't get rid of that weight. And we cry out for help just like this lame man. We cry out and say, help, alms, thinking that's the best we can do, a quick fix, a simple solution in our mind. We don't dare to think that we could experience a true, miraculous, game-changing moment. Listen to me this morning. God's forgiveness, God's healing, God's love, God's restoration, it wasn't just extended to this beggar 2,000 years ago. God is still alive, and his power is still available to us today, 2,000 years later. And for some of us in here today, we need to hear this command to get up. We need to hear this command to get up. To get up from the depths of where we are and have complete faith that God will forgive. That God will heal. That God will carry us through. That God will provide restoration. I don't know what's holding you back. What is weighing you down. And what is preventing you from experiencing the freedom in Christ. But today... Won't you just stand up? Won't you take that first step? Stand up in faith that God can and God will show up today in a game-changing way. Let's move on. After the miracle that's been done, the beggar comes into the temple jumping and leaping and praising God. And a crowd gathers And naturally, when most of the people in the temple had seen this man sitting outside for years, they see him coming in on his feet, jumping and leaping and praising God, and so the crowd gathers. And Peter preaches this this, this sermon. And he says in verse 12, he says, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety or godliness that we have made him walk? In verse 16, Peter says, And his name... By faith in his name, in Jesus' name, has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given this man his perfect health in the presence of you all. Peter and John understood point number three for us this morning. That game-changing moments are all about Jesus. Peter quickly turns the attention away from himself and from John, and he turns the attention to Jesus Christ because it's really all about Jesus. The people say, Peter and John, you told this man to get up and walk, and now he's doing it, and he's saying it's not about us, it's about Jesus. Peter says, I didn't do anything to this old man. He said, I'm not special, I don't have these special skills or powers. 
He wasn't healed because I'm, I, I'm more godly than anybody else. He says it was all through faith in Jesus. In fact, as you look at this little sermon that, that Peter preaches in chapter 3, he uses, Peter uses many different titles and names for Jesus that all have different meanings. If you have a Bible, you go ahead and underline these in your Bible. If you, if you don't have a Bible, underline it in your neighbor's Bible. In verse 6, in verse 6, Peter says, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Referring to Jesus this way was saying that Jesus is a human man from the town of Nazareth. But he's also saying that he's also the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. And in verse 14, Peter calls him holy and righteous one. Describing that Jesus alone from the beginning of time was being set apart and was completely without sin. That's a holy and righteous one. In verses 13 and 26, you see that Peter refers to Jesus as God's servant. As God's servant. This echoes the exact words that Jesus said about himself when he said he came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom. In verses 22 through 25, Peter says that Jesus is like the prophet Moses. He says, but in fact, he is greater than Moses. And that it is Jesus who all the prophets said would come. In verse 25, Peter says that Jesus is is the offspring that God promised would bless all the peoples of the earth. That offspring of Abraham is Jesus. Jesus is the one who is going to bless all the people of the earth. And perhaps the most chilling description of Jesus that Peter gives is in verse 15, when Peter says that Jesus is the author of life. This phrase, author author of life, would normally be applied to God the Father, who created all living things. But here, Peter, under the influence of the Holy Spirit, under the influence of the Holy Spirit, he refers to Jesus as being the creator of life and the breath. Peter is saying that physical and spiritual life comes from Jesus. Jesus is the originator, the pioneer, the beginning of eternal life. You see, listen here. Because if we expect God to show up in life-changing ways at Restoration Church, we expect that. We expect lives like Priscilla's life to be changed. But I assure you this, it's not because of me. It's not because of our people. It's not because of our ministries. It's not because this is such a great church. You see, lives will be changed. Game-changing moments will happen because of Jesus. Game-changing moments will happen in this church, not because of us, but because of Jesus, of who he is and what he's done. One One more point to make, and then we can wrap this up. Number four is game-changing moments require repentance. Verses 17 through 26. You see, if God is going to change lives, Peter says that ultimately it comes down to repentance. Peter, in a sermon, this becomes the response he asks of the crowd. See, first, he tells the crowd who Jesus is. In verses 14 and 15, Peter reminded the crowd of their guilt in killing Jesus and releasing the murderer. And verses 22 through 24, he warns them of the destruction that awaits them if they don't accept the message of Jesus. And he tells them in verse 25 and 26 of the blessings that they would be given by accepting the message of Jesus. But in verse 19, 
In verse 19, we see the cry of Peter, which is the same cry that we read throughout the book of Acts, which is to repent and turn again that your sins may be blotted out. What does this mean for us to repent? What does it mean to repent? The word itself means to turn around and to change your direction. It means a change of direction in a person's life. Repentance is not just a different attitude or, or, a, or a feeling guilty or feeling sorry for something that you've done that you know is wrong. It means to truly turn away from sin and not walk in the same way in which you did before. And Peter says that if we repent, if we come before God by faith and turn away from our sin, that our sins would be blotted out by Jesus on the cross. That Jesus takes a penalty for our sins so we don't have to. Because God knew we were going to screw up. God knew that each of us would screw up. He knew that we would fail as friends. He knew that we would fail as spouses, that we would fail as, as parents. He knew that we would fail. But because he loved us, he sent Jesus to die on the cross for each of our failures. And this is a marvelous thing. Because every other religion, every other religion out there would tell us there is something that we must do. There's something that we must do. But this right here, the Bible, this speaks of what God has done. It doesn't speak about what we must do. It speaks of what God has done. There is no new philosophy of life that is presented. There is no new system of morals. It is just Jesus. Jesus' death and his resurrection for our sin. Because we can look and we can see that is by faith we are saved. Not of anything of ourselves. We say, well, what does it mean for me to experience forgiveness? How can I be forgiven? It is by faith in Jesus Christ. It is by us repenting and turning to God. Can I invite you today to put your faith in Jesus Christ? To repent of your sins and turn to God? I want to invite the worship team to come back up here as I close. At Restoration Church, we believe that not only do we open God's word to learn from it and to try and understand from it, but, what God's, but that God's word also demands us to have a response. It's not just for knowledge, but God's word re commands us to, to have a response. We learned a few weeks ago that after hearing God's word, we should ask ourselves this question. What shall we do now? What does this mean for me today? So in a moment, we're going to provide us a time to respond to God's word. A time to respond to, to what we've heard today. The worship team will lead us through a couple of songs. And this is our time to respond to what God is doing in our own hearts. You can choose to respond in any way you'd like. You may choose to respond by closing your eyes and joining the worship team. And just praising God through, through the music. You might need to take a minute. You might need to sit down or kneel where you are and pray before God. If you are feeling a, a deep weight, maybe you're, you're feeling like this is a time that you, today you need to get up and walk. There's going to be a couple people. You can come and talk to me. A couple other people up the front. You want to have the chance to talk to somebody about getting up and walk, walking. Come up and, and have someone pray for you. There's going to be a couple of us. Again, this is our opportunity to say, how can we respond to God's word? Because it's not just that we hear this great message. It's not that we hear about God's word, but how does it change us?
So we're going to provide that opportunity to respond. I'd encourage you to take time to pray before God, to examine yourself, repent of, errant, repent of any areas that you know in your life are out of whack. So let's take this time to respond to God's word together. Let's pray.